afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to Marquetta's fourth quarter 2022 earnings conference call. As a reminder, the conference is being recorded. I would like to turn the conference over to Stacy Feinerman, Vice President of Investors Relations, to begin. Thanks, operator. Before we begin, I would like to remind everyone that today's call may contain forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are subject to numerous risks and uncertainties, including those set forth in our filings with the SEC, which are available on our Investor Relations website, including our annual report form 10-K for the period ended December 31, 2021, and our subsequent periodic filings with the SEC. Actual results may differ materially from any forward-looking statements we make today. These forward-looking statements speak only as of the time of this call, and the company does not assume any obligation or intent to update them, except as required by law. In addition, today's call includes non-GAAP financial measures. These measures should be considered as a supplement to, and not a substitute for, GAAP financial measures. Reconciliations to the most directly comparable gap measures can be found in today's earnings press release or earnings release supplemental materials, which are available on our investor relations website. Hosting today's call are Simon Kalaf, Marquetta's CEO, and Mike Militich, Marquetta's Chief Financial Officer. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Simon to begin. Thank you, Stacey. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for Marquetta's fourth quarter 2022 earnings call. I will briefly touch on our results for the fourth quarter and for the year 2022, and then share our top priorities for 2023. We ended the year in a position of strength, once again, demonstrating our ability to grow and innovate at scale. Total processing volume, or TPV, was was 47 billion in the fourth quarter, a 41% increase compared to the same quarter of 2021, and two and a half times the TPD in the fourth quarter of 2020. Our net revenue of 204 million in the quarter grew 31% year over year with financial services empowered by Marketa as the fastest growing segment. Gross profit was $87 million in the quarter, a 15% increase versus Q4 2021. This growth was 16 percentage points lower than net revenue as we lacked the incredible ramp in the buy now, pay later business we had in Q4 last year. Our gross margin for the quarter was 43%. The full year 2022 was another great one for market. Total processing volume, net revenue, and gross profit grew 50%, 45%, and 38% respectively. We attribute our success to our great product market fit, where our scale platform has been adopted by many of the innovators in the changing digital economy. As a result, we have strong growth among our customers and continued satisfaction with our product, which is evident in our healthy net revenue retention of 144% compared to 2021. This revenue retention is consistent for both
both our block and non-block business. While I'm pleased with where we ended 2022, I'm actually more excited about the opportunities ahead of us. The embedded finance market is rapidly expanding and evolving. Marketa has powered embedded finance for years, one application at a time. We started with on-demand delivery, enabling an entirely new commerce use case by minimizing fraud. Then we moved to video banking, introducing engagement features such as instant issuance. Next, we enabled buy now, pay later, alleviating the time and cost required to build merchant acceptance. And then moved into expense management to help digitize B2B payments. Going forward, there are several new large opportunities in front of us, such as wage disbursement, accelerated wage access, flexible accounts payable, and point-of-sale lending. In addition, over the last several quarters, we've seen demand change from narrowly focused fintechs to larger, more established companies looking to embed financial services into their offering. Their goal is to drive more loyalty among their large user base and create additional revenue opportunities. We do expect that trend to continue and drive further demand for Marketo as our solution is ideal for this market. First and foremost, with a cloud native and an API first, making us easily embeddable into our customers' workflows. Second, our solution is comprehensive with support of debit, credit, money movement, coupled with program management, making us, making us a natural choice for this market segment. Our customers won't need to stitch together disparate solutions from multiple vendors. Finally, our scale gives our customers the confidence in our ability to support their growth on a global basis. Given this renewed focus on our path to profitability, let me share our three priorities for 2023. Number one, to integrate our power acquisition Number two, to continue to accelerate sales. And number three, to drive innovation within our economies of scale. We began making progress on the last two focus areas in the second half of 2022. So this doesn't really represent a departure for the company. Rather, they represent an acceleration through sharper focus. Our first priority is power integration. Credit represents a huge addressable market that is currently held back by the constraints of legacy technology that has not kept up with how companies engage their consumers. At Marketa, we have provided credit processing for two years, but we've leveraged program management from partners. While this approach has had its successes, such as the launch of the green, green light credit card, our prospects have been clamoring for more from us in terms of a solution that combines both processing and program management that is on par with our debit and prepaid offering. That's what the power acquisition delivers. Our customers will be able to create credit card programs that are unique and personalized in significantly less time than it would take with multiple platforms. Let me give you an illustrative example. 
Our customers will be able to create personalized and dynamic rewards that are suited to an individual end user based on their specific transactions and not just your typical cashback or travel rewards. The possibilities extend far beyond consumer programs. As we see multiple commercial use cases in expense management, e-commerce, and a variety of marketplaces. In fact, since the announcement, we've already engaged with well-known retail brands, B2B providers, and marketplaces that are excited about our combined solutions. As far as fit is concerned, we honestly found a perfect match in power. The platform was built using very similar architecture as Marketo. They focused purely on program management within credit, using a partner for processing, while we did the exact opposite. Therefore, there's very little overlap between the two platforms, and we anticipate the integration, which is already underway, will be completed in Q3 of this year. Moving on to our second priority, it is to accelerate our sales motion with greater focus and improved efficiency. Over the years, Marketa has grown fast and achieved scale partnering with high growth fintechs. We expect these customers will remain a base of profitable growth as they use Marketa to grow, launch new products, and expand into new geography. However, we were slow to adapt to the evolving market, which in late 2021 started shifting from fintechs to more established brands looking to bring embedded finance solutions to their existing user base. As a result, our new bookings in late 2021 and through Q3 2022 did not meet our internal expectations. These sales challenges have only just started to impact our financial performance, as it roughly takes 12 to 18 months for customers to onboard and ramp their card programs. Unfortunately, we will feel most of that impact in 2023. The good news is we believe that this problem is now behind us. As I expanded my role in the summer to include managing go-to-market, we reorganized into modular teams focused on specific segments. We also integrated solutions and sales engineering into the modular team, giving leaders end-to-end account ownership and sustained relationship based on deep account knowledge and payment expertise. In conjunction with the changes, we properly align our sales incentives to our growth objectives. We are very pleased these changes have already began producing the desired outcome. In fact, our Q4 bookings were extremely strong, so totaling more than the first three quarters of 2022 combined. The use cases for our recent sales are extremely diverse, highlighting the breadth of our platform for both consumer and commercial customers. One customer is a large expense management provider who's using us to expand their business to Canada. Another is looking to offer financial wellness services for immigrants. A more specific example of a unique partnership we close is our win with Rakuten, France, and MasterCard to launch an integrated payment solution 
for the loyalty program, which has over 12 million members. The first time an e-commerce platform offers a digital payment method linked to a cashback system. To do this, Marketa will enable the issuance of a single-use virtual card and provide additional managed services to improve the security of each transaction. In addition to the reorganization and go-to-market, we also focus on signing longer-term contracts with customers. Since the second quarter of 2022, we've renewed four of our top eight customers and about half of our top 30 customers. Approximately 80% of these contracts were renewed at a longer duration than our previous typical duration of three years. In fact, over a third of these renewals were done for five years. I'm confident that this improved sales trajectory will continue and even accelerate given the sharpened focus and team alignment. Moving on to the third priority is innovating within our economies at scale. In 2022, we had two sizable product launches. First one is risk control to minimize fraud and charge events. And the second one is Marketa for banking to offer additional money movement capabilities. A recent addition of credit program management with power is yet another significant platform expansion. Over the, over the next year, we will invest in enhancing our platform capabilities, scale, resilience, and security. However, this increase in investment will be significantly smaller than in previous years. There are three main reasons we're confident we can continue to innovate while achieving economies of scale. First, we build an outstanding product and technology team over the last few years. Given the current scale of our platform and organization, we have sufficient capacity to innovate and launch multiple enhancements quarterly with limited incremental headcount. As we mature, we have automated some tasks that we traditionally use headcount for. Onboarding our customers would be a concrete example of that. And third, since we no longer have major solution gaps to fill, we plan to leverage our existing platform and focus our efforts on small and strategic unlocks to solve our customers' problems in highly innovative ways. In closing, our industry is undergoing another evolution. The FinTech boom led to an unbundling of the banking industry, leaving it to customers to piece together disparate systems into a suboptimal solution. Embedded finance customers simply will not tolerate that. Neither will Marketa. We're extremely positioned to serve the needs of this customer base as a global, cloud-native, and API-first platform going very deep with a fully bundled offering. Debit, credit, risk management, money movement, and program management. We consider ourselves the only issuer-focused company with a bundle that truly meets where payments are going. I am confident we will capitalize on this tremendous opportunity. With that, I'll turn it over to Mike for a more detailed look at our results for the quarter, as well as our financial outlook 
for 2023. Thank you, Simon, and good afternoon, everyone. Q4 was a strong finish to a great year for Marketa, with Q4 TPV growth of 41%, net revenue growth of 31%, gross margin of 43%, and adjusted EBITDA margin of negative 4%. The net revenue growth and gross margin were both on the high end of our expectations, while adjusted EBITDA was better than expected as we continued to slow incremental investment by leveraging improvements in our efficiency and effectiveness. I will cover the Q4 highlights before spending more time detailing our current expectations for 2023. Q4 TPV was 47 billion, growing 41%, once again demonstrating our ability to grow fast at scale. Let me put the rapid scale of our TPV in perspective. In Q4, we had over 50 days where we processed over 500 million in volume, compared to over 30 days in Q3 and less than 20 days in Q2 of this year. And Q4 TBV of 47 billion is more than our first three quarters of 2020 combined. Looking at our TBV performance by vertical, growth in the financial services vertical was consistent with Q3, growing a touch faster than the overall company, fueled by Cash App's rising card penetration among their rapidly growing users and engagement driving higher spend per card user. On-demand delivery has been relatively consistent all year, growing double digits driven by merchant category expansion and steadily rising consumer demand. Lending, including buy now, pay later, growth slowed this quarter but did remain in the double digits. The growth is atypically low for three reasons. First, one customer migrated a portion of one of their programs to another processor in Q3 for diversification reasons. If you adjust for this migration, this vertical's growth would have been a little shy of our overall TPV growth. Second, the 2021 holiday season was exceptionally strong for BNPL, creating a very difficult comp. We saw a nice surge in holiday spending this year with sequential growth for BNPL from Q3 to Q4 in the mid-20s. But that falls well short of 2021 when the sequential Q3 to Q4 growth was over 50%. Finally, many of our customers tightened credit requirements in Q4 given the evolving macroeconomic environment. Since managing PCB, more than doubled year over year, but growth is lower than prior quarters due to rapidly rising comps, as well as the uncertain macroeconomic environment causing businesses to manage their spending more closely. Powered by Marketa, Q4 TBB more than doubled year over year, reaching almost 20% of our total TBB, up more than five points from Q4 last year. This growth is fueled mostly by expense management use cases in the U.S., as well as international growth. Q4 net revenue was $204 million, growing 31%. Block continues to be a strong contributor to growth, driving our revenue concentration to 74% in Q4, up about 1.5 points from Q3. This is mostly driven by Cash App, with Afterpay and the seller card also contributing. Another factor is our slower revenue growth in BNPL due to the reasons I shared earlier. Our Q4 net revenue outside of Block and BNPL is growing several points faster than our total company growth. The net revenue take rate was one bit lower than last quarter and three bits lower than Q421, mostly due to the growth of our Powered by Marketa business, whose share of total TBB continues to steadily increase. Remember, the TPB growth of the Powered by business affects the net revenue take rate much more than the gross profit take rate. Q4 gross profit was $87 million, growing 15% with a gross margin of 43%. The margin improved one point from Q3, mostly due to higher network incentives as volume increased. 
but also was helped by our value-added services not directly tied to GBV. The margin is lower than Q4 last year due to the lower contribution of DNPL, as well as an increase in block concentration, given Block's lower margin profile than the rest of the business. Two additional points about our gross profit dynamics. First, although our block revenue concentration is up five points since Q2, Block's gross profit concentration remains unchanged during that time. This is due to less favorable volume mix within the block business, as well as improving margins elsewhere, in part due to increasing network incentives. Second, BNPL also significantly impacted our Q4 gross profit growth as a result of the slowing volume growth. Our gross profit outside of block and BNPL in Q4 is growing over three times faster than our total company growth, and more than 10 points faster than the revenue growth outside of block and BNPL. Q4 adjusted operating expenses were 95 million, growing 27%. Our expense growth was slowed meaningfully each quarter in 2022 due to a significant amount of investing in 21 that we did not repeat, identified efficiencies, and continued discipline in hiring only for roles critical for growth. As a result, the incremental year-over-year investment required to fuel our future growth and innovation is shrinking. Q4 adjusted EBITDA was negative 7.5 million a margin of negative 4%. This result was three to four million better than we expected, driven mostly by our decision to slow the pace of hiring during the quarter. Interest income was 11 million, more than 50% higher than Q3, driven by a continued rising interest rate. We also recorded an $18 million gain on the sale of a private company equity investment. The Q4 gap net loss was 26 million. In 2022, we purchased 11.7 million shares for an average price of $6.77. Since the start of 2023, we have utilized the remaining 21 million of the 100 million the board authorized from last September. With our recent acquisition of power and our belief that there will be other attractive opportunities to further accelerate our product roadmap through M&A, we plan, we don't plan to buy back more stock at this time, but may consider it again in the future. Similar to prior years, in 2022, we had positive cash flow, excluding all financing activities, including share buybacks, and the sale of the equity investment. Although our adjusted EBITDA was negative for the year, we are not burning cash, which further demonstrates the strength of our business. Now let's transition to our expectations for 2023. First, let me start with several important points. Based on the trajectory of our business over the last several months, and the often conflicting macroeconomic indicators that suggest both strength and oncoming risk, we have assumed a modest slowdown in the trajectory of consumer and business spending as 2023 progresses, i.e. a relatively soft landing, not a significant decline in consumption and business investment that typically comes with a recession. Although a block renewal is a top priority for us, and we would like to secure a renewal in 2023, the various block contracts run into 2024, and we cannot indicate a potential impact to our financial performance until a renewal is done. Therefore, we have assumed our current contract is in place throughout 2023. From May 22 through March 23, we will have renewed approximately 50% of our volume, excluding block. Customers are opting to sign longer-term contracts, which shows their conviction in Marketa as the partner of choice and solidifies a base of business for which we can drive sustainable, profitable growth in the future. In these renewals, our customers receive better economics as they get bigger, much in the same way that we benefit from our scale. 
Therefore, 2023 gross profit in particular, as well as net revenue growth, will face headwinds as we grow over old contracts with more favorable terms. There are two business factors weighing on our 2023 net revenue and gross profit growth that we believe are unusual and will only affect 2023 growth, not the subsequent years. First, sales bookings were below our expectations in late 21 and the first three quarters of 22 as we transitioned from supporting specific use cases to a solution-oriented enterprise platform with a structured and repeatable sales motion. Although we believe we have solved the sales challenges based on Q4 2022 bookings and progress so far in Q1 23, the previous lack of sales has reduced the number of customers who are ramping their card programs in 23. Second, earlier this month, we renewed our relationship with Visa to set ourselves up for long-term success. We feel great about the partnership with Visa and believe our agreement reflects our track record for achieving scale and growth. As we've discussed in the past, the level of our overall network incentives is based on the nature of the relationships between Marketa, the networks, and our customers. For two of our larger customers, shifts in these relationships are negatively impacting the level of incentives Marketa earns. While this type of change is rare, it will have a significant impact on our 2023 gross profit growth. For the full year 2023, we currently expect net revenue growth to be in the low 20s, with TPB continuing to grow more than five points faster than revenue due to the power by market trajectory. The net revenue growth assumes modest macroeconomic pressure and is mostly fueled by volume growth of longstanding customers with a small lift from our risk control and market for banking products starting to get traction. The growth from new customers signed in the last two years is offset by more favorable renewal terms extended to customers initially signed prior to 2021. Given it takes roughly 12 to 18 months for new customers to onboard and ramp their card programs, we don't expect much impact from our strong Q4 22 sales on our 23 revenue. We also do not expect a meaningful contribution from credit programs in 23, as the power integration will not be complete until Q3 this year. We expect 2023 gross profit growth to be in the mid-teens, which equates to a gross profit margin in the low 40s. The change in certain network incentives tied to specific customers should pressure our gross profit growth by over five points, lowering our gross profit margin by almost two points. Putting the block renewal aside, the combination of our rapidly improving sales, the availability of our complete credit offering, and the lapping of our renewal activity, we are very optimistic that our net revenue and gross profit growth will meaningfully accelerate in 2024. We plan to grow our 2023 adjusted operating expenses expenses in the high single digits, excluding the two points of additional expense growth for the addition of power. We plan to achieve this discipline and focus that began early in 2022, innovating within our economies of scale and continuing to drive efficiencies throughout the company. The organization as a whole has done a tremendous job finding more effective ways to deliver for our customers without the need for significant incremental investment. This minimal expense growth demonstrates our desire to progress towards our profitability goals while continuing to develop and deliver valuable solutions for our customers. Therefore, we expect 2023 adjusted EBITDA margin to be negative low to mid single digits, excluding negative approximately one point from the power acquisition. For Q1 2023, we expect net revenue growth to be between 26 and 
our highest growth quarter of the year, driven by easier comparisons as our cash app business started to accelerate in Q2-22. Q2 and Q3 are expected to grow in the high teens as the comps get tougher and the macroeconomic environment worsens a little, before accelerating in Q4 into the low 20s once we have lapped our BNPL customers' partial volume migration and we begin to lap the impact of all the renewal activity. Q1 gross profit growth is expected to be between 14 and 16% in line with our full-year expectations. Q3 should also be similar. Q2 is expected to be the lowest growth quarter in the mid-single digits, mostly due to the quarterly cadence of our incentives. Q4 growth is expected to be in the low 20s in alignment with accelerating revenue growth. Q1 and Q2 adjusted operating expense growth is expected to be in the low teens on an organic basis due to technology, product, and sales headcount added in the second half of 22. In the second half of 2023, organic expense growth should fall to mid-single digits as we lap the 22 hiring. All four quarters will also have an additional approximately two points of inorganic expense growth due to the inclusion of power. Therefore, Q1 adjusted EBITDA margin is expected to be negative 5 to 6%. In Q4, we expect to have a positive adjusted EBITDA margin as gross profit growth accelerates and expense growth remains subdued. In conclusion, although we expect our 2023 financial performance to have some challenges, we are excited about the momentum we have to drive sustainable, profitable growth for years to come. Our excitement and confidence is primarily driven by four factors. Marketa has great product market fit to serve companies looking to embed financial services into their offerings in the U.S., Europe, and beyond, a very large and rapidly growing market. Number two, in the first half of 2022, we became more focused on our investments and began to realize economies of scale within our expense base as we start down a path to profitability. Number three, in the second half of 2022, we expanded our product set, evolved and accelerated our sales motion in a sustainable fashion, and began securing large portions of our business with longer-term renewals. And finally, number four, earlier this month, we acquired power to expand our credit offering, which further enhances our differentiation as the modern, scaled issuing platform that supports all card use cases for innovators. Therefore, Marketa has the team, the opportunity, the product market fit, the installed base, and the operational discipline to achieve significant long-term sustainable growth. We are excited to share our progress with you in the coming quarters. I will now turn it back over to the operator for questions. Thank you. We will now be conducting a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press stars one on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your lines in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your headset before pressing the star key. The company asks that you limit yourself to one question. One moment, please, while we pull for questions. Our first question comes from Ping Xin Huang with JP Morgan. Please go ahead. Great, thanks for uh, to take the question here. I wanted to ask on the on the gross margin um, side, if you don't mind. I, I know a lot of moving pieces there. Uh, I heard the the sales bookings 
change. I heard a lot more deals getting renewed longer term, and you're giving us some economics. But what what gives you confidence that you know things will improve beyond 2023? And, and Mike, can you go through again why this visa renewal is is a one-time factor? And it, it sounds like you know some of it is being influenced by some of your partner relationships as well. It's not just straight up with visa. So would you mind just giving a little bit more? Detail around that because I was a little bit confused by it. Thank you. Yeah, let me let me start with that, Tim Jim. So uh, we talked about before that the the level of our incentives is based on the nature of our relationship with our customer and the relationship with the network. So there are some customers that are referred to us by the network, which means that we don't make incentives. There are some customers where we absolutely control the brand decision and we get full incentives. And then there are several variations in between those, those two extremes. And uh, what, what is happening in, in this case is that with two of our larger customers, the nature of that relationship is shifting in a way that is, is not a positive for the level of incentives that we are. And so that is creating, uh, as I mentioned, over four, over five points of gross profit growth drag. Uh, in 2023, and it lowers our 23 margin by almost two percentage points. That's our gross margin. So um, it does that will have a, an impact going forward beyond 23, but it particularly is impactful to growth because this is happening this year on volumes we already have, while we have new customers that have yet to ramp that will be growing much faster once we get beyond 23. So we see this as Although it is something that will impact us beyond this year, the significance of that impact is magnified in 2023 based on the just the situation that we're in, the dynamics of the business. In terms of the overall uh, gross profit growth, what makes us also more confident is, one, as you know, when you do these longer-term deals with customers and they get better economics, you know, that for the first four quarters of that, you have the pressure, particularly on gross profit, because what's happening when we do a renewal is our, our revenue comes down, but our cost of revenue, that is our bank and network cost, generally remains the same. And so although that, that feels like a lot of pressure on revenue, just based on our overall gross profit margin, it actually is much more impactful to the margin from a growth perspective because you're, you're dealing with a much lower base. So that's one factor. Another thing that gives us confidence is that what we're seeing right now is in previous quarters, we've talked a lot about the mix of our business between discretionary and non-discretionary spending. And that although discretionary spending was not, we continued to grow faster than non-discretionary spending. That's what we've seen all the way up until Q4, where essentially the high discretionary categories, medium and low discretionary categories all sort of grew at roughly the same rate. And why, why that's important is because generally the interchange is going to be higher on in discretionary areas. And so what we're starting to see right now, because network and bank fees don't typically aren't any different depending on the nature of the spend, that is also putting pressure on our gross profit growth in 2023 as we expect there will be some impact from the macroeconomic environment. But as we move past 2023 and we look out, then we would – we see that as something that should not be a drag anymore and should continue to benefit us. So those are the big factors. I see. 
Okay. Thanks for going through it, Mike. Next question comes from Darren Peller with Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Thanks, guys. Hey, uh, first of all, Simon, congrats on the, the new role. Um, maybe just start off with you, and I'd love to hear your thoughts strategically on what, you know, what you see when you look in this business uh, going forward, really, when you look at the next couple of years, the measure of mix between block and, and other categories and the vertical differentiation that a company's been, been having, where do you really want to put more investment into? Um, and then how important is that profitability metric for you again? And then just quick follow-up, Mike, I guess I'll just ask both questions at once. Um, and it's a little bit of an add-on to Tingen's question, I guess. When we look at the factors you went through that are impacting the results last year and into this year's guide, um, I guess if you were to sort of force rank and back out the incentive side, the readjustment there, as well as backing out some of the – if there were, maybe there were one or two big noteworthy renewal at a different price point, what was the underlying growth metrics beyond that? I'm just curious if it's a little bit more of a one-off thing we can isolate. Uh, Darren, thank you so much for the question. Uh, let, me, let me start by saying uh, what I see uh, is actually what I hear from our customers. And, and ever since uh, I joined, I've been spending a lot of time with our customers. And then one thing that came clear, everybody wants more from Marketo. Uh, to, to the point where fewer frustrated Marketo was not delivering the full solution to them. So there's great product market fit. The second thing is, as the market shifts towards embedded finance, and, and by that we mean uh, companies whose major business is not financial services, they actually want a full suite. They want a bundle. Uh, they don't want to go and shop around to multiple fintechs to get a single solution. They want a full suite product. They want credit. They want debit. They want, they want prepaid. They want banking and money movement. And they also want program management over that. So, and so that's what we offer. So, uh, and so that's effectively what, what we see going forward. And, uh, I mean, the, the line would say that finance or fintech are just not going anywhere. They're going everywhere. And I think we're the engine that is going to power that. So in terms of profitability, look, at some point in time, you know, uh, once you reach the scale we reach, it is extremely important uh, to focus on profitability. Uh, it is not a, a certain, it, it's, it's not just a vanity metric. It is something that scaled teams do. We focus on operational excellence in every functional area. We put processes that are sustainable and repeatable. And then uh, we don't succumb to incrementalism. In other words, we continue to innovate at scale. But all these things lead you to be a healthy and profitable company. And that's something we're, we're, we're committed to for ourselves. We're committed to for our customers as well, because the healthier we become, the healthier uh, uh, our customers become. I'll turn it over to Mike to, for your second question. Yeah, so Dan, for the kind of to isolate some of the factors, so a, a couple things to keep in mind. So first is when you're looking at buy now, pay later, uh, we have just some unique factors impacting is just our Q4 numbers that are indicative of what's to come in 2023. So we, we have some volume loss from one program from one of our customers, uh, which we will lap in Q3 of 23. 
And then we also just are lapping an incredible acceleration in BNPL use during the holiday season of 2021. And so if you Take BNPL aside, and of course what's happening with Block, which grows very significantly. One of the things I mentioned in the quarter is that our growth, our gross profit growth outside of Block and BNPL is growing three times faster than our total company growth in the quarter, which was 15%. So the rest of the business gross profit is growing faster than 45%, and we think that is, shows you the trajectory that the rest of the business is on. The second thing that I would also uh, comment on is Block and particularly Cash App continues to grow really fast and it, it continues to increase our, our revenue concentration. Uh, it's up another point and a half this quarter. And it is lower margin business for us, just given, given their size and just the nature of, of their business and the use case. But I think what's important too, and, and why you hear me maybe spending more focus on gross profit growth and not margin, is because as that business, if you take the block business, for example, if it continues to grow fast, although it weighs on our margin, it's still driving incremental gross profit, which is ultimately what matters on our path to profitability. And so that, that is also something that we think is a positive going into next year. And so those are the two things I guess that I would help you isolate some of the factors. And I, you know, again, just to, to reiterate the, the issue with the, the visa incentives resetting is approximately or a little over five points of our gross profit growth in 2023. All right. That's really helpful, Mike. Thanks. And thanks, Simon. Next question comes from Ashwin Schubert Carr with CD Bank. Please go ahead. Um, thank you. Um, hey, Simon. Hi, Mike. Um, I, I wanted to ask about uh, um, the the comment on block, the assumption of no renewal this year. Um, is that, you know, just to clarify, is that a simplifying assumption or do you genuinely not expect to sign a renewal this year? You know, any incremental information there? there would be would be great and then uh, as we sort of try to build out the overall model um you know anything you can you know pro provide with regards to the underlying um macro um assumptions would uh, would would also be great ashwin uh this is simon thanks for the question i'll take the first part and then hand off to mike about the macro assumptions so in terms of uh, block renewal, we're highly confident that we will be able to renew uh, uh, the, the partnership uh, this year. So the, the agreements go through 2024, but we do have a high degree of confidence uh, that we will re renew them this year. And I, I think our confidence stems from, uh, from a couple of things. I mean, the first one is the cash app success is not a random event. Uh, it is the result of their team's excellence and relentless focus on delivering consumer value and also leveraging partners like ourselves. Our relationship is very symbiotic with them. So, so I do expect that to continue. The issue is the timing uh, is, is not something uh, that, that we have full confidence on the timing, right? So is it next week? Is it in a couple of months? So on and so forth and hence why we, we want to wait until we, we have 
uh, we, we have the deal renewed so that we share more information. So do, we don't want to be in speculation land. So that's why we, we're, we're taking a more cautious approach around uh, the renewal. But in, in terms of the confidence of a renewal, it's very high. Right? Okay. Yeah, and then on the, the macro assumptions, so I guess first it's what we're seeing. Generally, what we're seeing in spending is that, you know, and I, I'm sure you've seen it and you've heard it from many other uh, payment companies. You know, generally, generally speaking, payment uh, spending is holding up quite well. Um, both within consumers and businesses. There are some, some signs out there, right? The VMPL players are tightening credit a little bit, uh, which does, you know, uh, have some impact on spend growth. Within the expense management, we are starting to see uh, a little bit of impact there. But I would say, you know, it, it's relatively minor at this point. And so what we are assuming is a modest slowdown in consumer and business spending as the year progresses. So Right now, what we can see, you know, through most of, of February is things are, are still holding up, which is what's reflected in what we, our expectations for Q1. But as we look further out, right, there are a lot of, um, I guess, conflicting signs of, of what's going to happen as we get into the spring and summer. And so, you know, we've been, I guess, a little bit cautious, but have not um, gotten bearish on what's going to happen macroeconomically. And we'll just have to, to wait and see, see and, and stay flexible. And, and just, I guess, one more point just related to that flexibility. For example, with all the, the number of hires that we are making in, in 2023, which is relatively low, most of them are in the back half of the year. Uh, just as an example of, of where we are, you know, trying to maintain some flexibility to wait and see what happens from a macroeconomic perspective. Got it. Thank you, guys. Next question comes from Bob Napoli with William Blair. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, so, uh, Simon, maybe just uh, some. What are your thoughts on what the the right growth rate uh, for this business is? The target operating model that was uh, put out there uh, during the IPO. Just any thoughts around growth of that and. Uh, and your your confidence in, in in a target operating model. And Mike, if you can give any color on the power finance, what kind of revenue or growth your you uh, rate uh, that company is driving? Thank you very much. Thanks, Bob, uh, for the question. Uh, I'll I'll give you kind of my my philosophy as what I would consider uh, sustainable and profitable growth, and that's something we're aiming for. So I would consider. Uh, the, the, a healthy company and something we're aiming for is growth in the 30%, and that's gross profit in the 30%, and then EBITDA in the above, uh, above uh, 20%. Uh, that's the kind of company we're building towards. Uh, the, 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 and that's, uh, as a management team, we're committed to that type of an organization. So, and we have a, a plan internally uh, that we'd be able to, to look at to deliver that kind of numbers, but it's also tied to, given the concentration we have with block, it's tied to the block renewal. But just kind of a backup envelope that we're, as a management team, as a scale management team, we're aiming for the 30% year-over-year growth, sustainable growth in growth profit, and 20% EBITDA and more. Thank you. 
Mike, any uh, And then in terms of the, uh, the impact of in bringing power into the business as of the beginning of February, the, there is really a very insignificant impact on our revenue and gross profit. Power was, you know, has, has a few customers, and they're really all in beta mode, which we actually see as a positive. So they had cards in the wild, but uh, a, a relatively small number. And as you may remember, when we've talked about acquisitions in the past, what we're really focused on is accelerating our product roadmap. You know, we, didn't, we don't need uh, an acquisition to bring us sort of a sales pipeline because, you know, we are already engaged with all the major players who would want to be interested in credit in the ecosystem. So what Power is bringing is, is the technology, which is a very good fit with our platform. So we actually saw it as a, as a positive in this case that they were very early because we don't have to focus on customer migrations and, and kind of maintaining the business while we're integrating. We can really start fresh once the business is integrated in Q3. So really the revenue and gross profit is what's going to be driven after we integrate in Q3, which will be quite minimal. On the expense side, again, because they were also early, it's, it's relatively small. And so we expect the expenses to just increase our growth by about two percentage points for the year. So it's, a, it's a, again, a relatively small number uh, as we integrate the business. Thank you. Next question comes from Timothy Kyoto with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you for taking the question. I was hoping you could bring to light a topic that comes up in investor discussions, and it has to do with block, but I guess it could be applied more generally. When we look back at the last negotiation back in 2021, and we look at what's happened with take rates and gross margins since then, there was no drastic change, at least that we can observe. Sure, there's been a slight downward trend, but there hasn't been a drastic change. And I think part of the reason for that has been increased services that you've been able to attach and more value that you've been able to deliver to this one large, important customer. I was hoping you could bring to life examples of some of the additional services that you've been able to deliver maybe as Cash App has evolved into more of a, a banking platform than a, just a peer-to-peer -peer app. Thanks, Tim. Uh, this is Simon, and thanks for the question. Uh, there are actually uh, uh, quite a few. Uh, we, cannot, we cannot say much uh, because that's something that they would have to disclose. But uh, the, there's many services uh, that I say uh, uh, cash uh, and block has introduced uh, over the past uh, uh, couple of years around uh, more banking services, uh, more BNPL, sort of the app-to-pay acquisition. And I say we've been working very, very closely uh, with, with a block team uh, around adding and powering some of those, some of those features and additions. So I'll, I'll point you towards, uh, I'd say, BNPL as an area that we are very excited to work with uh, Block uh, in general and cash in, in particular. Uh, and that's something that we have, we have great confidence in. There's many, many others, uh, but I would defer to the, to the Block team to, to share those. Excellent. Thank you for taking the question.
Next question comes from Ramsey Alasal with Barclays. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you for taking my question this evening. I wanted to ask about bookings and kind of uh, uh, ask you to comment a little further on your confidence level that the bookings headwind issue that you faced last year is behind you. Specifically, I'm thinking about the, the shifting demand environment from more sort of fintech customers to more traditional customers. Um, I'm just curious if that's not making visibility a little bit cloudier or, or whether you feel like you've got a pretty good handle on, uh, on, on, on what's to come at this point. Thank you, Ramsey, for the question. Uh, actually, it doesn't. Uh, so we, we, uh, we, as, as we uh, put together uh, what I'd say, a very strong enterprise sales discipline and practice, uh, we look at the pipeline like hawks on a daily basis and a weekly basis. And you always, you don't look at a snapshot, you always look at trajectory. And uh, that's the method we have put in place in the August-September timeframe, and we were pretty close to what we have delivered in Q4. So uh, there's three things that are giving us the confidence. One is uh, how the pipeline is actually moving forward. So in terms of confidence levels, a rep cap, the management discussion we're putting on top, and also the, the diversity of the use cases that are coming from, uh, from our customers, the breadth, which means the market segment that is coming after us, and the third one, the global nature of that demand. So that point to a broad product market fit versus an isolated solution. And the second thing I'd say is a lot of our customers and prospects are coming to us and saying, hey, we're changing our strategy and our thinking because our OPEX is tighter this year. And hence, we want to reduce the number of vendors that we want to work with. We want, we want more from you because you have more and you, have, and you can support us on a global basis. So that is actually shifting some of demand uh, to us. So, and a lot of our customers that actually put together solutions from Marketa and many other uh, partners or players, uh, they found themselves spending all their energy stitching all these solutions together uh, versus innovating on their end. So, so I, I do believe that there is a combination of three things. First one is enterprise quality, pipeline hygiene and management, and, and, and account-based uh, marketing. The second one is the right solution to, uh, that has been packaged to address that, that market. And, and last but not least, the demand itself. It's actually invigorating to see the type of demand that we're seeing. Yeah, I guess, Randy, I'll just say, I'll just, I'll just add two, two additional things that I think are important. So one is that as the as the market is shifting, as you're describing, what, what is very beneficial to us about it is that it's shifting from sort of smaller but well-funded fintechs to much larger organizations that have, you know, maybe bigger ambitions that could come sooner because of their large existing user base. And so our scale is a, is a huge benefit 
you know, the fact that the combination of our kind of modern, highly configurable platform and our proven scale delivering for very large customers is a big benefit as the market shifts because that aligns better with the types of customers who are, are coming our way. The, the second thing I would, I would say that I, I guess hinted at briefly in, in, in my prepared remarks is not only was Q4, Q4 really strong, but we're also seeing Q1, at least through the first two months, we're seeing that pace continue. So, you know, we're quite confident that, you know, we've sort of turned the ship, if you will, and we're now um, very much moving in the right direction at a rapid pace. That all makes a ton of sense. Thank you very much. Next question comes from James Fossetti with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon. I wanted to follow up on a, a couple of the, the questions that have just been asked um, and I'll tie them together is that first, um, should we understand then that your current outlook for this year is, is based on the assumption of some sort of renewal with block um, later this year and, and would that any renewal this year actually have impact on, on financials from your perspective um, during the course of 23? And then just back on, on kind of the new customers and programs, um, you know, Mike, I know you just said that, that you see uh, a lot of those new wins are with more established companies, et cetera, not necessarily fintechs. But I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the maturity of programs they may be looking at, what your position within those programs is likely to be, um, and where there's potential variance there. Just once again, trying to gauge confidence in, in the ability to, to show that acceleration you're talking about once we get beyond this year. Thanks. Thanks, James. I'll quickly answer your first one, then hand it over to, to Simon. So, yeah, the, specifically the, the, I guess, the projections we shared and our expectations for 2023 do not have any impact related to a block renewal. So um, we have assumed that the current contract we have is in place through the end of 2023. And as I mentioned, we, of course, I guess, hope that that is not the case and that a deal is done uh, in that time. But because we, we don't want to speculate for now, what we are assuming is that the remaining the existing contract remains in place. Cool. Uh, in, in terms of the new, uh, the new customers, uh, uh, James, I'd say uh, there are multiple use cases that we're kind of focused on and we expect uh, I'd say sustained demand from, and I'll explain a role in them. So uh, the first one is co-brands uh, from specific, I, I'd say, retailers or brand, consumer brands that have very wide distribution. Uh, so they do want the loyalty play, the traditional loyalty play, and a new revenue stream. So, and our solution is ideal for that. Uh, the second use case that is coming up a lot and we're extremely well positioned uh, 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 to win is wage uh, disbursement and early wage access, especially with gig and shift workers. So the free labor marketplaces. Uh, that's another uh, use case that, that, that's very strong. And then there's two more. One is uh, flexible accounts payable, which is, which is the creating a virtual card in order to settle a payment in a short period of time, uh, uh, given the, the rising interest rates around working capital. And last but not least, I call it BNPL Envy, 
which is which is uh, everybody is looking at this mechanism, which is culturally accepted installment payments, and trying to bring it to the point of sale, but, but in a broader solution. I, I, I call that point of sale lending, but it's in a highly innovative manner. You don't need to send paperwork. You don't need to, you, you, you don't need to like, stand the line. You just uh, take a snap, a QR code, and you swipe, and you actually underwrite that transaction. So those are, I'd say, four use cases that our solution is actually made for. And, and we see the demands on all four coming from coming fast at us. Great, thank you guys. Next question comes from Andrew Jeffrey with Truist. Please go ahead. I uh, appreciate you taking the question. Uh, you know, Simon, it's interesting to hear sort of the, the, the discussion of the business, I, I feel like, evolve a little bit from the modern card issuing platform to being a, a full-fledged embedded finance company. And I wonder if you just put a little bit of a finer point on how you think you compete in that market. Uh, I know you mentioned some of the verticals, but is there – I mean, it, it, is this the kind of transition that you now think is complete, and that's what we've seen in terms of ramping 4Q bookings, or is there more work to do? Obviously, credit is going to help, but it just feels like it's almost a cultural shift in the go-to-market for the business. I just wonder maybe more ph philosophically how you think about that. Andrew, great question, and thank you for the question. I wouldn't say it's a philosophical shift. I, I say it's an operational shift. Uh, so uh, we, we uh, again, there's many uh, embedded use cases that Marquetta has ha has powered already, um, and and we're very proud of a lot of the use cases. And uh, everywhere we've gone in embedded finance, we were the entity that helped the the I say the brand achieve their success in financial services. But I say the market itself is shifting uh, and a lot of companies do want these embedded services in their experience. I mean, GoBrands would be another example, uh, again, uh, the, uh, the relationship between an entity and its employees or its contractors, they want to control that flow and honestly, it's a lot of money for them because it's pure EBITDA. So, uh, it's a new revenue stream. So, we're very well positioned to do that. So uh, in, terms of, in terms of the shift itself, it is when we reorganized into modular themes, we went sector by sector. So, uh, and, and we've given the, the leader, let's say, of that module complete ownership from prospecting all the way to managing the relationship. So they developed expertise, they developed account partnership, but also they develop an ability to sit down with a customer who's usually not an expert in, in FinTech and uh, put together those solutions. So it's not a cultural shift. It's an operational shift that, that has led to us uh, succeeding in, in this space. And the second thing is it's, it's, it's kind of like the market came to us because that's how Marketa is. Marketa is API first. So by definition, we fit well into somebody else's technology. 
were comprehensive. And with the addition of, of credit, that completed the solution. So honestly, Marketa was standing what the puck was going to be, if I want to use a hockey analogy. So, and I think that is, that is what, what happened. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes today's Q&A session and today's teleconference. You may disconnect your line at this time. Thank you for your participation.